I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. I am so excited to introduce the Second Shift podcast community to B. Arthur. B is a therapist, but she's not really like a therapist in the way that you think of a therapist. She's so cool and she's so open and she's so honest and she mixes psychoanalysis with mindset coaching. And because of that, she's really open about her own experience, her own life, and she gives actual practical real life advice that is based in the studies that she's done and the experience that she's had both as a therapist and as a corporate mindset coach. Now, one in five adults and one in six youth will experience mental illness every year. There is a real crisis going on in this country. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I thought this was a great time to have this conversation with B. She's also an entrepreneur who has built different businesses around trying to provide on-demand access to live therapists. And her company is called The Difference. It is same-day therapy if you need it. And I think that what she's trying to do is so cool and so needed and important right now when it's so hard and expensive to try to find a therapist. Hi, B. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm very happy to see your face, even if you're surprised to see mine. No, you look great. You're like my caffeine right now. Good to see you, girl. Happy to be here. This is a really awesome time to be doing this interview because it is the 4th of May, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you are both a therapist and an entrepreneur and founder of a company called The Difference that is bringing therapy to the masses. (laughs) So, and also now actually I would say a thespian. So we'll get into all these things. Um, And I love that you can be all of those multi-hyphenates. Oh, thank you, Jenny. Oh, this is such a good little intro. Thanks, girl. (laughs) You're welcome. So I want to start with, let's go from like worst to best. So let's talk about the mental health piece of it. And then we're going to talk about how you're solving this and then all the other cool stuff that you're doing. And so May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I I feel like we're inundated with Mm -hmm. information now about just like how dire the mental health crisis is. And as the mother of two school-age kids, it's like, Mm -hmm. everyone's just like in a panic all the time because like they say like one in six kids will experience like some sort of mental illness. And there's mm-hmm. so much pressure, stress. What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, what, what's going on in this world and how how should we really be thinking outside of the noise of like the media? The gloom and doom of the media. Yeah, yeah. it really is depressing. Yeah, your mental health means that it can be improved. It means that it can be optimal, but people always focus on the mental illness part, the mental health crises, and that's because people wait until it's at a crisis level. But 
Overall, I'm very optimistic about it. I've been a licensed mental health counselor since 2008. I did a dual master's in counseling and clinical psychology at Columbia University, and I still live uptown in Harlem. As you mentioned, I'm a pioneer in the e-therapy space. My last was one of the first to move therapy online with video. I was on Shark Tank, NPR, all that stuff. And um, we built the first Alexa skill for therapy with my second company. We built a mental health product for MetLife. And now my company, The Difference, does same-day access to therapy sessions by phone. And we focus on non-employer-based marketplaces like schools, gyms, co-working spaces, because I just hate that our healthcare and especially our mental health care is tied to our employers, which sometimes is the direct cause of our mental health crises. So my life's work has been dedicated to making mental health care accessible and affordable for everyone. And yeah, it's interesting to have this moment because as you know, I've been banging the drum about online therapy for over a decade now. And I think collectively our mental health was generally declining for like the last decade for sure. But COVID absolutely just blew that door wide open so it couldn't be a secret anymore. So the good news is that we do have Mental Health Awareness Month. It's good that companies are taking it more seriously. Schools think are taking it more seriously. But I think because of the stigma of mental health and that we avoided talking about it for so long, people don't know how to talk about it now, right? So that's why everything's super alarmist. That's why everybody's self-diagnosing with autism and ADHD and medication has gone up. You know, America has the highest use of psychotropic medication like antidepressants, Xanax protests out of any country in the world, even though we have the most money in the world, the most opportunity in the world. So yeah, I think it. we are at a crisis point, but I think uh, thankfully a lot of people are trying to solve it a lot of different ways. And yeah, I hope, you know, people can like listen to people on the front lines, I think the people closest to the problem are usually closest to the solution. So I really want to see everybody, you know, like with some skin in the game, really making a difference at this time. I love therapy. I think <laughs> that it's such an amazing opportunity to shine a light inward and be able to have a, a practice in place, almost like, you know, you go to the gym. Yeah. You, you people work out, you eat healthy. It's just something that I think is such an important part of life. And I, and I recognize that that just wasn't the case before, that it wasn't yeah. something that people felt comfortable with. There was like shame attached to it. I mean, honestly, I've tried to get my mom into therapy so many times <laughs> and she's so resistant. And I recognize that it's like, it's just to her, she, it's so foreign and so scary yeah. And so my kids, I have had them in therapy forever. And then they'll be like, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't want to go. I don't." And I'm like, this is just something that we do. It's like, I'm like, you will thank me one day. I mean, probably, <laughs> or they won't because most people don't thank their parents for their childhood. <laughs> but, I think my um, mom. <laughs> I'm like, but you will, this is something like a gift I'm giving you, which is knowing yourself and also knowing that there's like no shame in the game with having somebody who can show you back to you. Yeah. I mean, that's all therapy is, right? It's a mirror, you know, and a lot of times people do have blind spots, you know, that are causing them distress or aren't aware of their inner resources that can make them feel their best. And so that's all a therapist there to do. You know, how are you going to grow yourself if you don't know yourself, you know, but people should know that it's not meant to be forever. It's not meant to be only in crises, you know, like it really is mostly of the time during transitional issues. And just to be clear, there's really three different kinds of mental health statuses, like on the spectrum. There's just 
just general mental health, which is what everyone has. That's circumstantial mental health. Then there's clinical mental health, which is like, no matter how great everything is going, you will still have feelings of depression or anxiety. And then there's trauma-induced mental health. And trauma induces when you might have hypervigilance or you might have anxiety because of a trauma that's happened to you in childhood or any time of your life. It's especially tough with kids. We call that an ACE, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And that kind of changes your perspective and like, you know, kind of mutates how you would move in the world, how you process things. So it's really important to understand where you are that because the treatment will be different, you know, for each different kind of circumstance. Like if you lose a leg from diabetes, it's different than losing a leg from a car accident, which is different than losing a leg in war. You know, there's different ways to like treat the emotional injuries you have on you. But I certainly don't think it's anything that anybody should be scared of because the quicker you face it, the more quickly you'll be able to fix it. I also wonder, you know, we talk so much now about like trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma. And, you know, everybody has trauma doesn't have to be some big thing that happens to you. It can just be a place in time that like stuck and is a scar you carry along with you. So it does make me think that if you're dealing with therapy and really like working through your life and knowing who you are earlier Mm -hmm. in your life, you're not carrying around that thing for so much longer, which is then like really creating more and longer issues in your entire life cycle. So that's why yeah. I kind of think like it's better to like deal with it early because like everybody goes through things. Everybody has things. Everybody has shit that happens to them, family, drama, life. You know, it doesn't have to be as like big, gigantic and traumatic as like a car accident or a death or, you know, some some horrible thing that happens to you. Yeah. I mean, and especially, you know, I feel the same way. I just feel that like a lot of this stuff can be reframed, you know, like how do you make it work for you? How do you, like one of my favorite um, sometimes I get into like spiritual stuff. I'm a huge pothead. I love mushrooms. And well, I was going to say, you're like very psychoanalysis mixed yes. with mindset coaching too. So I love the mindset coaching piece because a lot of traditional analysis, they won't like tell you what to do. They just sit there and like wait for you to come up with the answers on your exactly. own, which is frustrating. Of course. Like if I don't know why I'm in this experience, asking me why, is it going to help me figure out how I got to this place? You know, Or so- like how many times can you talk about your father? <laughs> There's or your definitely mother. an art to it. There's definitely an art to getting what you want out of it. And unfortunately, our industry is old. It has not evolved a lot since 1904 when Freud came up with it. Freud has been found to be problematic and mistaken in several different ways. And more importantly, people are different, you know, from back then. People are different from 8 a.m., you know, depending on what's going on in the world or where they live, you know. So I think it's a mistake to try to s- apply such strict things to it. Um, you know, now we see everybody's got ADHD and now there's a shortage on Adderall. Guess what? I was the first generation that they put on risk. I'm 39 now when I was growing up. And guess what? When I grew up and moved to New York, then everybody was doing coke. You know, like you don't Mm -hmm. want to start setting people up for these instincts so that we can't stabilize our own mood, so that we can't do our own emotional regulation. And we're always reaching outside of ourselves. So I definitely think it starts with home. I think the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate privilege is to have good parents and to have a good partner, right? A safe space where you can feel like you're fully being yourself because one of the anxieties that we're going on, especially with body dysmorphia, you know, like overexposure, overconsumption with social media and stuff like that is really feeling like we have performance anxiety, really feeling like there's never time to rest. We're too much, we're too little, constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And that causes you distress. People used to feel safe and at least satisfied with their own body, right? At least satisfied with their own circumstances in life. And it's causing to feel people like they're not enough. 
enough. So I think it's important. And I'm seeing that a lot with some of the mental health conversations. And I just feel like a lot of these events should be descriptive, not definitive, right? Like I see people like my ADHD makes me late. And it's kind of like, okay, like, or you have to respect my trauma. It's like, well, the person didn't know they were causing triggering your trauma, you know, like it should be more descriptive. And also I feel like I've worked with some of I worked in the New York City public school system. I worked with addicts in recovery. I worked with survivors of domestic violence. And then I got into private practice and started working with high performers and stuff. But I've worked with all sorts of people. And I feel like the most resilient people have been through some of the worst stuff, right? Because life is always going to change you. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. But I think we're meant to use our traumas as a transformational experience. You know, like my mom, my parents worked a lot. I know a lot of people like, oh, my parents were there a lot. And it gave me a hard work ethic that I'm very proud of out of, you know, like it made, gave me an independence, you know, like I had dated a whole bunch of rich white guys when I was in my twenties. Right. And you know how problematic that could be. And, but as a result, it made me never depend on a man. And then I was insistent on always getting my own money, you know, which people who may have had a comfortable issue at first, find out later that it's hard and they haven't dealt with hardship and know how to get themselves out of those hardships. So I think embrace the changes, embrace the pain. That's what emotion is. Emotion is meant to move you either away from something or towards something. So I think that's the real beauty of therapy, just tuning in and listening to what you want and tuning out all of the external noises and existential crises that are just trying to disempower you, you know? Okay. I have so many questions about how your business works, but one of the things that's a real bummer is how expensive therapy is. Yeah. And I think that it's like, you know, it's, it's the same idea where you're like, everyone should eat organic food. And then if you can't afford organic food, you know, that's a problem right now. Access to therapists is hard you know, just finding people who have the the bandwidth take on clients. So yeah. you're sort of helping to solve that, which I want to understand how you do that. And then what do we do about the pricing? Yeah. So both good questions. It's the cost and it's the availability of this very valuable service, right? I always say, yes, therapy is priceless, but it shouldn't be so damn expensive. You know, I, I had a therapist who I loved every time I talked to her, I had an aha moment, but it was like $800 a month. And it made me want to fight her. You know, like I could get like porn for free. I could get like pizza for $12, $800, like to feel better. It's like an investment that I can't make, you know? And so I do, you know, as somebody who's done private practice, I don't blame therapists. I blame the insurance industry for the prices being the way they are. The cock blocking insurance industry in America is like really lacking because your insurance provider used to pay for up to 20 sessions a year, but then people weren't using it because before the disability act, your employer could fire you for having depression. They could fire you for having anxiety. So a lot of times people didn't use their therapy sessions if they thought their employer would have access to it. Um, And then in the 1990s or 1980s, the concept of CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which says people can be cured of their anxiety or depression in six to eight sessions came out. And so employers would only cover six to eight sessions. And then on top of that, they made it so that therapists have to do a lot of unpaid labor to get reimbursed. So you as a client could come, you should be able to pay your $20 copay and be on your way after the session. Me as a therapist, after the session, you have to do notes, I have to do treatment plan. I have to call on the phone. You can't just submit it online. I have to call on the phone, the insurance industry for reimbursement for a $60 invoice. You could have seen me months ago, right? And all that's unpaid. So what most therapists end up doing is they just charge a rich person $300 a 
an hour under the table, you know, no taxes. I don't have to like report it versus doing all this paperwork for $60. So they made it very hard, the insurance industry for both sides of the marketplace. They would rather you see a psychiatrist and get Prozac four times a year than see me and talk through the depression 20 times a year. Any ongoing expense the insurance industry doesn't want you to do, even if it's preventative, even though we now know that stress is tied to a whole bunch of physical health issues, heart disease, heart attack, all sorts of stuff. So I do think that, again, like my nemesis, I always say only have two nemesis, Mark Zuckerberg and the U.S. health insurance industry, because both of them don't want us to be happy and thrive. So that's the issue with costs. And the way that we've done it is my agency is organized as a co-op. So we pay a flat rate of $70 an hour, and then we do revenue sharing with our therapist every quarter. So if the agency does well, if the difference does well, and because that's how we get, you know, even me, I don't practice anymore, but I wouldn't charge $70 an hour. I can charge like a lot more. I do like corporate counseling and stuff. But if I want to make my case more diverse, if I want to help more than rich people, you do have to find a way so that you're not either completely dependent on insurance writers or private practice pay clients who... Only a certain kind of person can afford that. So, yeah. But how does it work? So how do you have somebody who's on demand? How do you have enough people who have that? Like, how does the system work? Yes. So at The Difference, we believe the right talk at the right time can make all the difference. And our whole goal is to connect you with a therapist in 30 minutes or less if we can, but we guarantee same day sessions. And the way we do that is we actually built it on top of a call center. So I trained all my therapists as customer service agents. We staffed them in shifts from 9 a.m. to midnight Eastern. We added an evening shift for the West Coast. And yeah, basically the way it works is it's just like any other call center. We don't call of our, our session sessions to keep it away from any clinical confusion. We call them professional pep talks. And so you just text professional pep talk to our number. And then that gets you in the queue. We go, okay, we have call times at one, three, and five or whatever is available that day. And you book a time and then my therapist call you directly on your phone. So it's really that simple. I thought it's crazy that it didn't exist. Um, It's all by phone. We don't do text therapy. I think that's too impersonal. We don't do video therapy. I think that's too much of a commitment and mental lift. And I just really want to bring conversations back. I want to bring connection back because the only user experience that's similar to ours is the suicide hotline. And Mm. I was just like, why isn't there a non-crisis way to connect with the helping professional? So that's what I built. And can you always get a person to call you back that day or do you? Yes. Same day. So right now we're, yeah. And so when we first started, it was 30 minutes or less, but we would have to pay people. We do still pay them even if nobody calls in. Um, We actually started with Amazon Alexa. We built the first Alexa still for I remember when this came out with Alexa. I was like, that's so crazy. (laughs) And it was exactly the same system. It was a call center that we built on the end. Alexa was more just like our receptionist. It was just a distribution channel that I thought could rival health insurance. I've always been about mass market applications, but yeah, Alexa has had some privacy issues. So we stopped working with them. Um, but yeah, that's why we decided to pivot and go through um, non-employer-based marketplaces like co-working spaces and schools and gyms. So yeah, just community, community care. That's amazing. I interrupted you before when you were talking about being a pothead and mushrooms and uh, all the, yeah. the different, in, you know, what do you think about all the different kinds of modalities of like therapy these days? You know, it feels like, one in five people I know right now are off on a psilocybin yeah. therapy journey. 
Well, I mean, wellness comes in many ways, many forms and many shapes. And I do think that I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Anybody who's trying to solve this problem, there's so many different kinds of people in the world. There's no reason that people should think there's just one way to, you know, cure a mental health issue, especially up until recently. Again, my industry has not been updated. If you had anxiety, the only thing they would tell you is medication or meditation, you know, and, and no in between, right? This is supposed to make you feel better. Not considering whole health, not consider existential, environmental, family, all that stuff. And so what I'm loving to see, I actually did an ayahuasca journey in 2020, like right during the election, I like sent my mail and ballot and went off to Mexico because I was like, this country needs healing. And so do I. So I went off to Mexico, did an ayahuasca journey in the jungle with like tarantulas and stuff. And I was just amazed, honestly, I'm really excited to see the psychedelics approach to psychology because the truth about talk therapy, and I'm not afraid to say it, is that it only works 50% of the time. They've done studies on this, right? Because one, you have to be ready to hear it, right? You have to be ready to change it. If the thing that's causing you distress, like you're not ready to leave this marriage, you're not ready to leave this job, but that's the active thing. And also it has to be a right therapist. You know, like I could have the cure to cancer, but if, if the therapy won't work, if the therapist doesn't work for you. So timing costs, all of that stuff. So talk therapy only goes so far. Also, if you've avoided talking about a pain point in your life, it's not easy to just jump in. I used to see this when I worked with addicts, you know, if somebody was doing like heroin or fucking meth, you know, like, geez, they're running from some tough stuff. When I make them talk about their dad in the first couple of sessions, you'll never see them, you know? So what I like about plant medicine is that it's more of an energetic exercise, right? Because the energy doesn't go away until you do something with it. And I just feel like the healing opportunities, the release, you know, with ayahuasca, they call it a purge. Some people throw up, some people laugh all night, some people cry all night. I've done sessions where people orgasm all night. There's just a lot of stuff in your body, in your energy field that needs to be released, right? And because that's where a lot of suffering comes from is our attachment, right? Our attachment to that wound, but things are meant to be, you know, scars, not wounds, you know, and that's how you know if you've healed from them, if that thing no longer has power over you. Ideally, we should all have power over our own mind. Nobody should be able to have power over you, not even your own negative thoughts, you know? And so I think that's one of the beautiful things that therapy does is it helps you strengthen up your self-concept. And one of the best things about psychedelics is it kind of lets you release things that no longer serve you, whether that's an old wound or an old fear or a limiting belief. And so I'm really excited about them, but all that said, just like with you shouldn't be giving Adderall to everybody, you definitely shouldn't be giving ketamine to everybody. Like some of it is like wildly reckless, but, you know, we'll see as the industry starts to regulate itself. It's really interesting. I love what you just said, that it should be a scar, not a wound. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is a very good, I love that way of, of thinking about it. That's just beautiful. <laughs> Many of the women of the second shift and in the community of the podcast listeners are are sort of mid to senior level women in their midlife, 35 to 45 year old women. What are some of the issues that you see pop up in that demographic? Because I can name what I think they are, but I'd love your professional opinion. What's your opinion? A lot of self-doubt. Really? And lack of confidence. Mm. And there are a lot of women who have either like been highly perfectionistic yeah. and pushed themselves with this like drive yep. and ambition and then gotten to a place where they're like, what do I do now? Or <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not happy. Or on the flip side, didn't drive themselves mm. and then are now in the place where they're like, okay, I've been home. I haven't accomplished the things mm. I wanted to accomplish. And now I feel bad about myself because I didn't do the things that I probably my potential or what I was told was my potential or what I dreamt of. 
and you're mm. getting to this age where you're like, okay, like the runway yeah. is a little bit shorter, or I have to rethink my marriage, my children, my my life that is real. It's here. You're not like yeah. at the beginning where you get to like sort of make up what you want it to be. It's like, yeah. this is what it is. Absolutely. So I love, you laid it out perfectly. Um, There's a lot of self-confidence issues. It's a lot of self-confidence issues. It's a lot of self-doubt because a lot of women still don't trust themselves, you know, after living this life and even women who have accomplished a lot, you know, there's a lot of people still trying to prove themselves to an old voice, to an old influence, to an old authority figure that isn't necessarily what they want. And so in therapy, we say that anxiety is usually related to uncertainty. So if you don't know what's coming next, you don't know if you should stay in this place, you're going to have anxiety. That's a totally natural reaction that you should pay attention to. And we often say depression is related to disconnection. Things you used to love, you no longer enjoy, you're not sleeping, you feel disconnected from your source, right? Because just like you're saying, maybe you're misaligned, right? I always thought I wanted to be a mom, a wife and mother, and like, it's not as fulfilling as I thought. I also th always thought I wanted to be a girl boss and now I like sacrifice so much and it's not. And so I do definitely see this theme in our age group. And that is just kind of a victim of the have it all girl boss era, you know, from 25 to 35, really realistically as a woman, you're either building your family or your career, right? And you can do both. But again, that's a lot of performing, you know, like, you know, like being these things for other people, and especially the way women are treated in the workplace, there's just a lot of investment and energy going outside of your body, and you never got to pay attention to yourself. So for women experiencing that, I would definitely encourage you to just pay attention to what the pain is trying to tell you. Again, your emotions have information for you. Every emotion deserves equal respect. Just like you said, the quicker you pay attention to it, the quicker you'll be able to move through it, you know, and pain is my paycheck. People pay me to let them talk about their pain. Right. And I'm like, pay attention to that. You know, it's just like, if I'm thirsty, my body knows I need water. If I'm hungry, my body knows I need food. If I'm lonely, my soul knows I need connection. Right. If I'm irritable at work, you know, I know that it's time for me to change. So I think it's really important to pay attention to your pain at every stage. It is trying to tell you something and can most likely direct you away from where you've maybe been for too long. Don't idle where you are. Like when you're uncomfortable, you're meant to move. Life is trying to grow you up and show you some new stuff. And what about the mindset coaching piece? Mm -hmm. Because that's really cool that you do that as part of your practice also. And I'm just wondering uh, how you utilize that in like when you're coaching women or thinking about helping people through different points in time of like transition or wanting to transition. Yeah. So I know it sounds corny, but like I really live my life like with love, like you, we met in person, you know, that's like, not corny. That's awesome. It's true. I love people. I love people. That's why I became a therapist. I was, even before I went back to school, I was always in client facing roles, you know, trainer just, and I think somebody told me once actually when I was in real estate that like, you know, people would tell me all this stuff. I would get all these referrals because they would be like, oh, so-and-so said you really helped them find the right place. I didn't help them find the right place. I was a really lazy real estate agent. You know, I just listened to them. I'd be like, oh my God, do you think you really want to have kids with her? Do you think you're going to stay with him? When people have to think about their futures and it's a very intimate experience where you're going to live, especially if you're going to buy it, usually your parents' money is involved. And finally, one of my clients was like, you're really good at getting people to tell you things. You should be a therapist. And so that's how I applied to Columbia. I only applied to one school and got it. And I was just meant to be there. And I think the reason people like and trust me is because I love people. Like, 
like, I'm very affectionate. I'm very easy to talk to. I don't judge. And for me, the reason that I really like mindset coaching is because if you can't see yourself because you're still down in the valley and you're like just making your way through the mud, I am up top and I can see you. I'm cheering for you. I know you're going to get to the other side. It's just like with the phys- uh, a personal trainer at the gym, you know, like maybe you might be a little chubby, but I can see what you'd look like, you know, if you let some of that down, you know, not to be fat phobic, but just because, you know, I like a little fluffy too, but yeah, mm-hmm. when it's time to move. So I, I really love watching people evolve. Like I've, I've, I used to work with a woman whose mother was schizophrenic and she was literally raised in the sewer. You know, I didn't even know where to start, you know, but like every stage, I was just so impressed with how she was able to endure, like just, I mean, I just think the human experience is really beautiful. And and I love talking about bad things. So for me, I think I'm a safe place for my clients who are in pain to kind of like process all of it. So yeah, I just leave with love. I was listening to what you just said about coaching. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this and being the second shift is because I love talking to people. I'm incredibly curious about them and I am able to really understand what they're saying without them saying it. Yeah, exactly. And I guess like, I, I think because I was a journalist, I'm a very good listener. Mm-hmm. And a good question asker. You have to ask the right questions. You have to ask the right questions, get them to where you want them to go, but also really listen to what they're saying if they're not saying it and come up with solutions for that problem. So in my world, a lot of it is like, okay, have you thought about going into this field? Or, you know, don't take that job. You don't seem to really want it, even though you're saying you want it. Why do you think you want that opportunity? You know, talking people out of negative spirals. Mm -hmm. Because they're stuck on the story. They're stuck in the story. Yeah, they're living that old. They don't realize I've changed, right? Their environment changed. They don't realize that they're no longer that person, but they were there a long time and they haven't gone to the next station. The fear. The fear is a big one. People oh, that's a have. fan favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, people are real. <laughs> they just like, you can make up any excuse. Yeah, you just don't want to do it. It's hard and you have to get ready. You have to honor every stage of the journey. You know, I always say, don't judge the journey because I've been there before, right? Like, and I'm like an ambitious person and I've known times where I'm just not ready. You know, there's that moment where you have to go from the back of the stage to the front of the stage and you're just not ready. You know, you don't want to let go of your favorite jeans. You know, they don't fit you. Everyone else can see they don't fit you. And you're just not ready to let them go. So it's patience is a big part of it. Patience and persistence, never giving up on yourself and being kind to yourself. Like change is uncomfortable, you know, but life is change and change is good. So life is good. Okay. Let's talk about your said stage. And it's made me think about your new show that you're performing in. And it's called (laughs) Tribulations. I had tickets to go in April and I actually wound up having to do something with my kids. So I couldn't go. So I have tickets at City Winery in June. Oh my God. It sounds so cool. Tell everybody, because this is going to come out way before. So people will have the ability to buy tickets. Yes. Oh, Tell thank you. everyone about this show. It's very interesting. It sounds fun. <laughs> thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. We have a lot of fun. Uh, the show is called Tribulations with Roy Wood Jr., who's been on The Daily Show and has been a character actor around for a while, really established comic in New York. I know his ex-girlfriend, who was also a biz-time businesswoman. And so we had I met him at once at her birthday party, and I mentioned that I was a therapist, and he had been working on this concept, Tribulations, for a while, because like they said he's a comedian and but he's a really great guy his whole team is women like he's just like a very supportive guy he's always putting on up-and-coming comics and whenever he would try to talk to people about his problems he said they would laugh 
And so he was like, fuck it, let's just lean into this, laugh at my pain. And so the concept is tribulations. We have an app where you can submit your anonymous tribulations. And uh, it's so funny that um, he has three comics and they come on and each do a five minute set. And then they sit down and they discuss one of the tribulations and proceed to give very funny, but very terrible advice. (laughs) And then they bring me on to give the professional advice. So it's a lot, you know, I think that laughing and crying is the best way to release things and like get through things. So yeah, we have a lot of fun. We did it all last year. We did a few shows in New York and LA, but it was kind of under wraps. And then we didn't know that Trevor Noah was leaving the daily show. So for a while, it seemed like maybe Roy would get it. But this year we did the first one. We were just on Tamon Hall show. Yeah. As you mentioned, we have a show coming up in June, but it is so much fun. Like comedy and therapy surprisingly go really well together. <laughs> That's not a surprise to me. <laughs> I'm Jew. Wish. Okay, so you know. <laughs> we, we live in the intersection of comedy, therapy, Literally. and you know, anxiety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's really great. And like, we have people ask really silly things and we have people say really serious things. So um, yeah, we, we love doing the show. It's a lot of fun. Well, I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on here. Thank you for trying to dedicate your career and your business and ambition to making mental health cool and making it accessible and making it something that is not stigmatized in any way. So I appreciate that on behalf of like, you know, society. Thank you. I love that. Jenny, so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, Second Shift audience. I hope this was helpful. I really think it was. I'm going to put all the information about the difference out there. So if anyone is looking for a quick and easy way to find on-demand therapy, they can reach out. And if you have an organization that could bring in the company, if that's something that you want to provide, they can reach out to you. Love it. Thank you. Take care, B. Thank you. so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 